I'm so glad to be here this morning, and I know I say that every week, but I'm especially glad this week because I've been sick all week, and then, uh, you know, occasionally your watch tells you, my watch tells me to stand up, well, my watch was telling me, dude, you need to get off the couch and put on some clothes and do something, and uh, I'm just so glad to be here and so thankful uh, to be worshiping with you, and man, every time we sing that song, there's one line that always chorus, it says, and you gave yourself away. Because the thing is, nobody took anything from Jesus, right? Nobody forced Jesus to be on the cross. Nobody uh, overpowered him and and nailed him to to that piece of wood. You know, nobody, uh, you know, took control of him and and beat him and, and made him suffer the way he did because he was weak. Nobody made him do that because they were better or stronger than him. It's because we have a sovereign God who loves us so much that he willingly submitted himself to punishment, to death for us. And when we talk about, as we've been talking in this Advent season about restoration, what God wants to bring to the table in our lives in the deepest, darkest hurts, in the dry seasons, in the needs and the wants that we have for our families, for ourselves, spiritually, and just in our relationship with God. We can be reminded every single time that He gives Himself away. All we have to do is receive it, church. He's, he's put it out there for us. He's given Himself up for us to restore us in all our ways and in everything. You know, the, our, our verse this morning from Isaiah uh, or that, that has been kind of bringing us to this series He says, behold, I am doing a new thing. He's done it. He's planned it. He's laid it out. He's given himself up in that regard. So what do we do now? How do we respond in that? Church, just to be really honest and level with you before we get into our text this morning, probably one of the hardest things in my Christian life has been remembering in the midst of maybe disappointments, in the midst of, of, of struggle, in the midst of hurt, in the midst of mistakes, in the midst of just idiotic moments of, of sin and selfishness and stupidity. It's been finding that place where I'm reminded that my surety and security can only be found in Christ and in nothing else. Because it, it, is, it never fails that Jake will fail. Jake is going to make a mistake. Jake is going to mess up. The, 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 the weight of, of Jake's goodness can't rest on Jake. And neither can yours as much as maybe we think it can sometimes. But I'm thankful this morning that that is not Jesus' intention. That in the season of Advent, what we celebrate is the anticipation of what the Lord is planning to do with us. And that He's not planning, you know, for these people in the Old Testament, in the beginning of the New Testament, they were anticipating something. They didn't know what it was, or they thought they knew what it was. And then Jesus steps into the picture and just completely shakes everything. He just changes everything. He just flips the script. He just tells them, look, this is what you thought, but this is what I really came to do, because this is what you really need. You don't need a king. 
You don't need somebody that elevates you and your country to, to superiority and that makes you uh, bigger and better and a grander army and a grander civilization than everybody. He says you need forgiveness of your sins so that you can have an eternal satisfaction in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what you need. You don't need what this world offers you. And I'm so thankful for that Jesus tells us that. This Church, I want to read this verse to you this morning before we get into it and then we'll pray and ask the Lord to speak to us. But we're going to be in Luke chapter 5. If you have your Bible, you can turn there. If not, it'll be on the screen. I'll be reading from the ESV in Luke chapter 5, starting in verse 36. He said this. He also told them a parable or a story, an illustration. He said this. He said, no one tears a piece from a new garment and puts it on an old garment. If he does, he will tear the new and the piece from the new will not match the old. And no one puts new wine into old wine skins. If he does, the new wine will burst the skins and it will be spilled and the skins will be destroyed. But new wine must be put into fresh wine skins and no one drinking old wine desires new. For he says, the old is good. Church, if I had to sum up everything I want us to see in here this morning, it's this, that we will miss the new thing he is doing if we are holding on to old things. That holding on to what makes us comfortable will cripple us. When we are seeking restoration and refreshing in our wastelands, if we are holding on to old things, we will miss the new things he is doing. Church, let's pray and ask God to speak to us this morning. Father, I, I thank you for your word. God, I thank you that every week that we gather together, we don't have to rest on the wisdom of, of, of mine, any wisdom of mine, Father God, but we just rest on yours and in your revealed word to us. God, that as we look through everything through the lens of your giving of yourself, God, that you are a generous giver. And the greatest gift you ever gave us was yourself, leaving the right hand of God, stepping into weak, frail flesh as a baby, celebrating this season, God, growing to be a man and willingly dying on a cross for us, bearing our sin and shame so that we would not have to be ashamed. We would not have to bear the guilt. Father, I pray this morning that we see freedom in you. God, that you've invited us to new things. God, that you've given us so much pray that we see it for all it's worth this morning. Father, we love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So church, Luke chapter 5 is where we're going to spend most of our time this morning. And like I said, our idea this morning, as we've been talking about restoration and, and, and how God wants to pour into, and this season of Advent is about God coming into dry and weary lands, God coming into needy spaces and restoring those spaces, bringing healing, bringing direction, bringing refreshing. That's what we believe as Christians that God wants to do for us in every way, shape, or form in our life. And this morning we'll see no differently, but to see that before we can receive the, the, the new things, we have to recognize that it's by leaving behind some old things because the old and those new things, they don't match. They don't work well together. They don't fit together very well. And so this morning, what, what I want us to see in this text that we read this morning is that Jesus is speaking in a parable. We see Jesus speak in parables very often in the Bible. And what he's doing is this is kind of his stories. This is an illustration to kind of help magnify a point that he's trying to make. And so he's communicating to some people, some Jewish people here that have 
very specific ideas about God and who God is and how to get to God. They believe by their works or by these activities. Right before this, they're talking about fasting and, and, and fasting twice a week and this and that. And how do we do this? And they're trying to kind of level their space with God, trying to get to God. And, and Jesus is speaking directly to them about something. And he tells them, he tells them, he gives them this illustration about uh, garments. And he gives them this illustration about wine and wineskins and and, and, you know, they would have understood these analogies. They would have understood the things that he's talking about. Uh, and so the, the, the verse that I want to kind of focus in on and in us understanding that God is trying to do a new thing for us, whether we realize we, we, we need the restoration or we're, we're here this morning and we're thinking about those areas in our life, maybe our spiritual life, just in our family or whatever it might be that we desperately need restoration. We desperately need some refreshing or, or some 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 renewal in that space he tells us this you know in verse 39 he says and no one after drinking old wine desires new for he says the old is good the old is good because too often you know for them we miss the refreshing we miss the refreshing the provision that he's trying to give us, we miss that because we are still drinking from puddles. He's telling them, you know, in, in this idea of, of, of new wine, of, of, of new garments, all this stuff, Jesus is speaking into their lives and he's telling them, he's telling them that I'm trying to give you something new, but it doesn't match your old mindsets. It doesn't match the way that, you used, that you're thinking, that you're approaching God, that you have, that you've thought about God or that you've thought about your relationship with Him. You know, they're trying to earn their place with God or, or, or they're, you know, they, they believe a lot of different things that we'll kind of talk about as we move. They believe a lot of different things about how their relationship to God works. And, you know, the first illustration he talks about is he talks about cutting from the new to patch the old. You know, cutting from this new garment, you know, and a lot of times in the Bible when it talks about garments, garments are used to talk about character. Okay, they're, to, they're used to talk about our, our, our status before God. You know, we, we talk about uh, clothed in righteousness or we talk about uh, the Bible tells us that, that, our, you know, that our garments are like filthy rags and some versions say it that way. That, that, that our character, that our status before God is different than his. And so, you know, he's talking about, you know, cutting from a new and patching the old. And initially it seems like that works, right? Because initially it, it fills the hole. But what he's trying to help them communicate and help them understand is that cutting from a new garment to patch an old garment only works temporarily. It'll eventually tear away. As the new garment shrinks, it'll tear away from the old garment because the old garment has already been, uh, been worked on. It has already been washed. It has already been shrunk. It has already been uh, you know, manipulated. It has already been worn out. He says, but when we attempt to patch, when you use the new garment to patch the old garment, he says, not only are you mangling the image of the new, but you're relieving the old more damaged than it was before. You know, and for me, you know, doing ministry for, for a little bit of time in my life and being around some things and, you know, too often the church is better at teaching patchwork, right? I mean, if we're honest, we've been in church situations, church circles, we've maybe attended churches that, that are like this, that the focus is behavior modification, that you need, there's a lot of do's that you do and a lot of don'ts that you don't do. And if you, you know, and so 
in a lot of ways, we step into life and we're approaching life in this very do and don't type way. And so we look at all the don'ts that we're doing and we try to patch that up, right? We, we take what we know about God and we say, well, God says not to do this, so I'm not going to do this. Or God says not to do this, I'm not going to do this. And so we continue to, to strive, we continue to work hard, we continue to try to work in our own works, in our own strengths, in our own abilities to try to modify the way that we think and the way that we act to kind of fit into this mold. But Jesus is telling them, and this is how the Jewish people would have lived. They would have lived by this code of, of you're trying to work harder to get to God, that we're fighting hard, we're fasting twice a week, we're, we're, we're memorizing Scripture, we're doing all these things. And, and as we know, the Bible constantly told, said that Jesus was, was telling them, man, you're still missing it. Because they were, patching, they were patching it up. They were patching up their works. They were patching up their lives. And, and the thing that Jesus is telling them, he says that Jesus didn't come to patch up the old. He came to give new. He came to give new. Because what is the old? And when we talk about old, what is the old? Church, the old is us depending on ourselves. The old is us depending on our own works. The old is us depending on our own abilities to get to God, to find ourselves in that relationship. And I know that seems so crazy because in every other world system that we have and that we live in, it's you do to earn, right? You work hard to gain. You work hard to get money. You work hard to get a promotion. You work hard to get this. You work hard to get that. But what, what God is trying to show here is that his kingdom is different, that his kingdom is different. And we'll get to that shortly. But for us to understand, and what he's trying to communicate to these people here in, in Luke chapter 5, is he's telling them, he says, man, I'm trying to do something new for you. I'm trying to do something new among you. But the problem is, is that you're holding on to old mindsets. You're holding on to old thoughts. You're holding on to old things for comfort. And like that verse 39 says, he says, no one who is still drinking from the old wants the new because the old is good. It's good enough. A lot of us are living life in good enough because we're, we're, we're living off of the old things, maybe from our old life, our old experiences, our old thought processes, our old, uh, our, our, our old blessings. But he's telling us, He's telling them, he says, I'm trying to give you something new. And the problem is, the problem with these people here and the problem that they'll constantly face, you know, this is the beginning of Jesus' ministry here in Luke 5. And the problem that they'll constantly face is that if they, were to if they were to receive Jesus, very similar to us, if they were to receive Jesus, they would have to adjust their expectations. They would not, they would, uh, to not try to contain the new in the forms of the old, you know, they would have to adjust the way that they think. They would have to adjust the way that they act. They would have to adjust themselves to embrace the work that Jesus was trying to do for them and in them and around them. And so for us and what he's trying to show them, that he's trying to do something new. And not only the cutting from the garments, but then the next illustration he uses, he says, living off the old wine or the familiar flavor. He says, you're living off of the familiar. And like we said earlier, living off of the comfortable will cripple us at times if we allow it to. You know, because so many times, so many of us, we want good things for ourselves, right? We want good things for our kids. We want good things for our spouse. We want good things for our church. We want good things sometimes. We have great, great, great intentions. But for those things to take place, it requires us to embrace 
what God is trying to do with us. And when I say new, I need us to understand something really quick, just a disclaimer. I'm not talking about new based off of the way things have been done. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying new systems or new, new ways of church or anything like that. I'm talking about within us as individuals, as people, in our lives, the things that we're holding on to, the, the mindsets and the, the thought processes around life that, we're tr- that we think with that, that, that are the best way, that we think are the way to, to carry us, the way to, to bring us through. Because the thing is, for new wine, the, this illustration, to help us understand it, what they would do is they would take this animal skin and they would, they would mold it and then they would put the new wine in it. Okay, fresh skin, fresh wine. And what would happen is the wine would ferment. Okay? The wine would age. And as the wine would ferment, it would create you know, gas. And so the, the new skin would be able to expand with the new wine through this process. And so that's why he says here, he tells them, he says, the new wine requires a process. It requires beginning again. And that the new wine needs to expand, it needs to grow, it needs to develop. And if you take that new wine and put it in old wineskins, it will only eventually break out. It will only eventually be lost. It will only eventually be spilled. It will only eventually be wasted. It will lose its purpose. It will lose the structure of its development. So he's telling them and he's telling us in this moment, he says, I want to bring restoration. I want to bring refreshing and renewal into your life and into my life and the things that he's trying to do with us. But if we're trying to encase that and trying to encase this work that God's trying to do in us or show us in our life in old mindsets or in old thought processes or in, in, in ways that we used to find satisfaction in life or the way that we used to find worth and value in life or the way that we used to find direction and encouragement in life, we try to encase that in old wineskins as we grow as Christians or as we develop as people, that it's not going to be able to contain and be able to, to, to control our growth and it's only going to bust and it's only going to spill out. And just like the old garment, that whenever we try to patch up our lives with Christianese and with churchy stuff and we just try to patch up the, the don'ts with the do's and try to just, just, just focus in on just trying to do right, try to do right, try to do right and patch up our life, then eventually when we fall and that patch tears away from us, we leave more broken than we were before. We leave more more hurt than we were before, and then we continue to build into the fact that, that I'm just not good enough for it, that I just can't accomplish it, that I just can't do this thing that God wants me to do because I can't hold it together. But the reality is, is that if we're trying to hold it together, it means we're trying to grow in old wineskins. And it's not meant to grow with us. Old wineskins, that old way of thinking, that old way of moving in our lives and trying to navigate and do things is not going to contain us. It's not going to develop us. It's only going to eventually, if we try to, bust and leave us searching for something more and just reminding us that I can't hold it all together. But the beautiful thing is, is what God showed us, and we'll continue on here this morning, but... What God has showed us is, man, that is not his intention. He's done so much work just here in Luke chapter 5 that we'll see here shortly that should let us know. That he is the new wineskin that holds us together. That he is that thing that, that, that contains us and allows us to grow, allows us to develop, allows us to age, allows us to figure things out. And that's because the, his work has been breaking down walls. 
He has been breaking down walls, and that's what he does through all of this. Remember when I said that Jesus came into the picture and just completely turned everything upside down. He just created a whole new kingdom culture based off of his intentions and his work that he intended to do that was totally not the way that they anticipated, that was not the way they thought it should be done or that it would be done. And so what does Jesus do here in Luke chapter 5? Is, is that he's taken away the walls. He's taken away those things that divide us from a holy God. He's taking away those things that keep us distant from God and, and make us feel like we need to contain it all. He says, you don't have to contain it all. I'm doing the work to contain it all. He said, I'm being your new wineskin. I'm being the work that you need done. This thought and this process of my grace and mercy that we've been singing about this morning. And he's taking away these walls, the reality of Christ that he's showing us and that he's trying to, uh, to reveal to us in our life that he's bringing refreshing, that this is what we need. This is what I need for my life. This is where I benefit. This is where my family benefits. My acquaintances benefit. Uh, the people around me benefit because whenever I am seeking God, embracing the new in my life, the Bible tells us in John chapter seven, that out of his heart or out of the one who believes heart will overflow rivers of living water. <clears throat> rivers of living water for others. It's not just for me, but it's overflowing. It's flowing from me into the lives of the people around me. And that's what we want to see. That's what we want. And so he continues on. And just for us to see, this is what Jesus is doing. This is what Jesus has done. And that's what at the end here of chapter five, he tells them. He says, listen, there is new wine for you, but you're trying to contain it in old wineskins and it's not going to work. And he says, but you're still drinking from the old wine and you're satisfied with that. But in being satisfied with the old wine, you're going to completely miss the new things that I'm trying to do for you or that I have already done. And so that's what we see here. If we jump back, if you have your Bible, you can turn there. If not, then you can just hear me out on this. But all throughout chapter five, we see Jesus doing some unbelievable things for these people. For nothing. They did nothing to deserve it. They did nothing to earn it. And they didn't even, and some of them didn't even ask for it. But Jesus is all about new wine and new wineskins and breaking down walls to allow us to walk in restoration. Breaking down these walls that keep us from a holy God. And so the first thing that we see him do in the beginning of Luke chapter 5. <coughs> Sorry, you know, as, as we think, we have these ideas in our mind about, well, well, I can't. You know, I can't embrace this new. I can't embrace what God's trying to do for me. I can't embrace this new work that he's trying to do. And the first thing that maybe we would say to ourselves, well, I'm nobody. What can I offer? You know, what can I do? You know, if he's got this new thing for me, who am I for that? Luke chapter 5, verse 1, we see him call his first disciples. And who are these men? These men are fishermen. And failed fishermen at that, it says they didn't catch anything. You know, this was in a time when there were people who had the entire Old Testament memorized. But Jesus chose, chose to go to this place to find this people. And what did he tell them? He said, follow me. Follow me. And what does it say that they did? It says leaving everything. They followed him. These men were nobodies. They were nobodies. This isn't the people who they thought... Jesus would have came looking for. But he said, I have a new thing for you. You know, maybe we would tell you to ourselves, well, I'm an outsider. I don't really have a place among certain types of people, especially religious people. Well, you know what? He's got something for you with that too. 
Moving right on down in Luke chapter 5, verse 12. Jesus is in one of the cities. And it says that a man full of leprosy, leprosy just being a word for, for skin diseases, it says that there was a man full of leprosy. And that when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and he begged him. He said, Lord, if you touched, if you will, you can make me clean. You know, this is a man that would have had to walk through the street and would have had to just proclaim out unclean, unclean, unclean. And people would have had to scatter, would have scattered, would have ran away from him because they didn't want to touch him. They didn't understand what was going on with him. All they knew is that by the old law is that this man had a disease and we're not going to touch him. And they would have already figured out in their mind, well, he's probably got a disease because he's done something wrong. He's probably cursed for some reason. And so, but he would have had to have been segregated to another community of people uh, to live among. And he would have had to, if he's around other people, he had to make himself known, hey, I'm unclean. I have a skin disease. I have something going on. And people would have fled him. He would have been marginalized. He would have been pushed to the outside. But this man comes to Jesus and he says, if you will, you'll make me clean. Look, I'm a nobody. I'm an outsider. I have no place among anybody, especially not so-called God's chosen people. So what does Jesus say? More importantly, what does Jesus do? Verse 13, it said, and Jesus stretched out his hand. He would, no one would have ever have touched this man for any reason. He could have been lying on the street. And because this man was unclean, no one would have ever remotely gotten close to him. And what's the first thing Jesus does? Jesus very easily could have healed this man without ever touching him, ever getting close to him. I mean, he raised a kid from the dead from a distance, like not even there. But what does he do? He shakes up their expectations and he reaches his hand and touches him. And not only does he reach his hand and touch him, but he says, I will be clean. You know, he, he tells him, he says, look, you're an outsider. You don't have a place. You're not an outsider to me. There's nothing about you that Jesus tells him that is unworthy of my touch. Psalms 136, 12, David said, with a strong hand and an outstretched arm, talking about God, for his steadfast love endures forever. An outstretched arm. There's no place that the arm of God can't reach us. You know, and then maybe we would say, well, I, I'm, not, I'm, not able, I'm not able to do anything. I'm unable. I can't do it. I, I don't have the skill set. I don't have the ability. I don't have this or that. Well, Jesus has something for that one, too. In verse 17, we see a, a story start up of, of a man who's been paralyzed. And it says that his, his, his buddies bring him before Jesus. And Jesus sees the man and, and he says that he forgives him. Well, then the religious leaders start to challenge him and they say, well, well, how, how can you forgive somebody? Can't only God forgive somebody? This is blasphemous. You know, just completely shaking their expectations of who Jesus is and what Jesus came to do. And Jesus says, well, you know, it, it would seem like a more difficult thing. In verse 24, uh, 23, which is easier to say your sins are forgiven you or to say rise and walk? So what does Jesus tell him? He says, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And immediately he rose up before them 
and picked it up. You know, whether this was an accident or whether this is how this man was from his entire life, Jesus gave him the ability he needed. You know, the new thing that Jesus is wanting to do for me or for you or in your family or in this church is not limited by our abilities. He wants to provide the abilities we need to walk, to move, to provide in the ways that he needs us to do. And so maybe it's not so much that you think uh, I I've, I've don't have the abilities, I don't have the talents, which it tells us that Jesus can very well equip us to do things that we either never have done or, or haven't done in a long time. Maybe we would say, well, I've, I've done too much. I've, I've done too much bad. I have too much of a reputation. I don't have a place. Uh, there, there's no way that God would want me to step into anything new that he has for me because of what I've done. There's no way. Well, guess what? There's a story for that, too. Starting in Luke chapter, 20, uh, chapter 5, verse 27, right down from that, we see a man named Levi who would, uh, who, who would be Matthew, who would write a book in the New Testament. It says, after this, he went out. After the paralyzed man, it says he went out and he saw a tax collector named Levi. Now, the thing that we've talked about this before, but the thing we have to remember about tax collectors is tax collectors were not very well-liked people. They were absolutely hated people. You know, because these tax collectors, uh, what they did is, is, is they would not only tax the people based off of the instruction of the government, but they would also overtax the people to keep money for themselves. And not only would they do that, but the Romans would choose people from among the people. So these were, these were Israelites. These were Jews. These were people of the people taking from their own people. And so they were extra hated because of it. They were extra. They were the, the lowest of the lowest. Their entire community would have known that is the rotten of the rottenest. That is the worst of the worst. He's a mean one, Mr. Grinch. Like, that's the one right there. Like, he's the one. But what does it say? Continuing on, it says, and he was sitting at the tax booth. He was doing the very job that all these people would have hated him for. He was doing the very thing. You know, this job was associated with corruption and greed and sin. And, 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 and without a doubt, Levi was participating in these things. It was just the culture. That's just what they did. That's just what their job entailed. And they knew that they had the protection of the Roman government. But they had the hatred of all their people. And so what does it say? It says, as he's doing the very job, this very sinful thing that he is doing, it said, and he said to him, Jesus said to him, follow me. Follow me. No interview no, turn in your resume. He said, follow me. I mean, can you imagine how bad that had to have ticked off the religious people? Like, seriously, he went to, the, he went to him? I have scripture memorized. I fast three times a week. I give, I do this, I do that. I pray on street corners. I do all this stuff. Who are those people? That just do these things just to do them that Jesus, Jesus said. He said, you're like, you're like whitewashed tombs. The outside is white, but the inside's dead man's bones. 
That's old, that's new, trying to patch old garments with new garments. That's trying to cram new wineskin into old, a new wine into old wineskins. He says it's no good. Jesus went to this man that everyone would have hated, that had done by what seems too much bad, too much of a reputation of too much wrong. No questionnaire. Didn't ask him questions about his experience with religion or ministry. He just said, follow me. And then this man would later on write, the, write a book of the New Testament. Be one of Jesus' 12 apostles. Be at the foundation of the work of the church. I love Paul in 1 Timothy 1.15 when he would say, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. This is the man who wrote the majority of the New Testament, the greatest missionary in, in church history. He'd say, listen, Jesus came to save me. Who I am the worst. You know, right, before, right after this, the, the people, they challenge Jesus because it says that Jesus is sitting at the table. Levi invites him to his house. Like any person who's experienced Jesus and just, you know, the, with this, this, this excitement and he invites all his sinful friends and he invites Jesus. He says, hey, come to my house. And Jesus doesn't say, no, I don't really affiliate with those kind of people. Jesus says, bring them all. Let's, let's, let's have a feast together. And the religious people stand around and they say, why is he doing that? Why is he sitting with tax collectors and sinners? He's, they're talking to his disciples. Do you see your leader over there? What is, why is he associating himself with those people? And what does Jesus say with the great sarcasm that Jesus has in the Bible? He tells them this. He says, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. He says, I have not come to call the righteous. And you have to hear the sarcasm there because Jesus knows none is righteous, no, not one. He says, I haven't come. What he's saying is I haven't come to call the self-righteous. He says, I haven't come to call those who think they are whole. He says, I've come looking for those who understand they're broken. I've come looking for those who understand they have a need. Jesus says, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. He says, I've come for the marginalized. I've not come for those who think that they're, they're God's gift to humanity. And then maybe we would say, well, I'm, I just don't get it. I just don't get it. I, I can't understand, you know, just... You know, they were all about these, these religious things and doing these religious activities and following these rules. And, and right after this in verse 33, it says, and, and they said to them, the, the religious leaders said, the disciples of John fast often and offer prayers and, do the, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees, but yours eat and drink. And Jesus said this to them. They're saying, why don't your guys follow all these religious activities that all these other people do? Why are they not doing these things? Why are they not following this, this, this routine? And I love Jesus' response in verse 34 and said, and Jesus said to them, can you make wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? Church, we can get so wrapped up. You know, and you've probably heard this over and over and over again, but we can get so wrapped up being religious that we'll completely miss the relationship, the excitement of knowing who Jesus is. You know, because there is a big difference between fasting and a wedding, right? 
Fasting is about repentance. Fasting is, is, is there's some mourning that's involved in, 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 in fasting. Uh, I mean, fasting can almost sometimes feel like a funeral. So what he's basically saying, he's like, <coughs> he says, I am like a wedding feast, not a funeral. He says, I am a celebration. I am a reason for joy. I am a reason to be excited. I am not a reason to mourn. And he said, if you get so, you are so caught up following these religious orders and these religious rules that you're missing the excitement and the joy and the celebration of knowing who I am. Listen, if you've ever thought that Jesus expects you before you come to have all the the ins and outs of what we do as Christians figured out, man, he doesn't. Because what does he call himself? He says, I'm, I'm the bridegroom. I mean, you're the bridegroom, I'm the groom. Jesus is the groom. He says, look, this is just a wedding celebration. This is just a relationship. This is a covenant that we have together. He says, listen, we'll, you'll figure it out as it goes. That's why he said that's new wine and new wineskins. He says, because it's a process. There's expansion. There's changes that happen. And Jesus understands that with us in our lives, that we should never be held back by new things, by new restoration, by new experiences, because we're afraid of things we don't understand or, or, or we're afraid. You know, the main thing that we would understand is that life is a feast, not a famine or a funeral. And it's about Jesus and that he is the only one that brings the feast. Matt Chandler said this. He said, the greater your knowledge of the goodness and grace of God on your life, the more likely you are to praise him. Church, I pray that we would understand that. And so what's the common theme as we finish this morning? The common theme in the thread to all these situations that took place here in Luke 5, just in this one chapter, is that they all had to let go of the old to embrace the new. You know, the fishermen in the beginning of chapter 5, it says that they left everything to follow him. You know, the, the leper in, in verse 12, Jesus told him, he said, go and show yourself to the priest. Prove that it's changed. Show them that, that something has been different. <coughs> The paralytic, further on down, in verse 25, it said that Jesus told him, he said, in verse 24, it says that he had told him to rise, pick up your bed, and go. He had to do something he had never done before in a way he had never done it before, going back to a place that he had never gone back to on his own. He had to do something new. For Levi, the tax collector, when Jesus said to follow him, what does it say? Verse 28, it says, he left leaving everything, he rose and followed him. This leaving everything implies an irreversible action, that he was not going back, that he was not going back to what he had known. He was not going back to what made him successful. He was not going to back for, to what he was known for. That he embraced the new. So for us, church, the thing that I want to ask us to be challenged with is what are you holding on to? Because to live, we have to let go. Sometimes we have to let go of lies. Maybe that's lies we've told ourselves. Maybe that's lies others have told us. The church not excluded from that. You know, maybe it's mindsets about people, about yourself, about your abilities. Maybe it's letting go of pride, neglecting to see the sickness within you. 
in your need for healing or believing you can bring the healing on or the change on your, in yourself. Maybe it's letting go of routines, the comfort that we find in routines in our life. Maybe it's letting go of some busyness or distractions in our life. Letting go of this old to embrace the new that God's got for us. Because what has Jesus showed us here in Luke 5 that he's trying to do? What is he trying to do? He's trying to show us first, church, that there is no sin his grace can't forgive. There is no sin that his grace can't forgive. There is nothing that can stand in the way of us being restored, being renewed, being refreshed by our Lord and Savior Jesus. That he says if we don't just ask, that he'll forgive, that he's faithful and just to forgive. That there is no place that we've put ourselves that is too far from his reach. That we have not wandered off too far from that place that we can't step into. That, that we haven't removed ourselves too far from his good, too far from his table, too far from the outstretched hand that he has stretching towards us. That our covenant with him, that our relationship with him, our place in his family is always a means of celebration as a wedding and not as a funeral. That he has given us, always given us a reason to be celebrating. Because he is the one that clothes us. He is the one that contains us. He is the new wine skin to our new wine. He is the new garment of our character and our our. our, our Standing before God. That the Bible tells us He clothes us in righteousness. He clothes us in salvation. Isaiah 61.10 says this. It says, I will greatly re- rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exult in my God. For He has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself like a priest with a beautiful headdress. And as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. Church, God is trying to do a new thing for you and me. Church wants to, He wants to do a new thing in our church, for this community, with these people. And for us, the challenge is to embrace the new. To embrace the new. And like I said, that is for us as individuals where that is in our life. I'm not talking about, you know, don't, when we talk about new and church, too often we, like, old church ways, and that's not what I'm saying. You know exactly what I'm talking about when I'm talking about those things in our life, those comforts that are crippling us. When, when Luke would say that you're, no one is drinking old, that no one after drinking the old desires new because the old is good because we're, it's more comfortable, because it's a familiar flavor. Church, my challenge to you is to let go of the familiar flavors in your life, whatever those comforts are that are keeping you from embracing and experiencing the new, and allow God to bring some restoration and refreshing and renewal into your life, into those spaces, into your own personal relationship with God, understanding what He wants to do. And, and, and based off of Luke 5, I pray you go back and read through Luke 5 and how God dealt with these people and did these things and, and, and understand that there is no person in here that lies outside of the new work that God wants to do in your life. And that He's not trying to patch up the old. 
He's trying to give you something brand new. He's trying to give you something brand new. He's trying to to take who we are and rebrand us, to reclothe us in something new. And all he calls us to do is embrace it. Church, let's bow our heads and let's pray together this morning. Father God, I thank you for your goodness. God, I I thank you so much for these examples, God. Example after example of people, God, that no one would have expected you to ever have gone to. No one would have expected you to ever try to do something new with. But God, as one of those people myself, Lord, I am so thankful. God, I am so thankful that you saw fit to come to me. God, as I sat in my tax booth, God, selfish, sinful, God, in the midst of doing the very work that would seem in rebellion to you in your way, in your work, just selfish, God, you said, follow me. God, I thank you that over time you give us the strength to move away from those old ways. God, that I'm, I'm thankful that our life and our growth in you is a process like new wine and new wineskins. But God, that we would understand that we will never truly grow and develop patching up the old, trying to be new and old wineskins. God, it's not meant for growth. It's not meant for the process. It's not meant for development, God. But we only find true growth and development and satisfaction and maturity in our walk with you. God, we only find that in you and in your way. God, I pray that we would let go of our own ways. God, I pray we would let go of our selfishness. God, I pray that we would start to look to you. God, and how you can use us, not only for our own good, but for the good of those around us. God, challenge us to step out of our comforts that are crippling us. God, challenge us to let go of our old ways, our old thoughts, our old mindsets. God, and begin embracing the new that you have for us. Father, I thank you. Lord, and I praise you. God, I just pray that you just allow this truth to work on us and to move us in our lives. Father, we love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.